Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Podcast. I'm joined by the ever reliable, ever insightful Nico Morales. Nico, how are you doing? Such wonderful superlatives you have for me there. I, I <laughs> wish I had I had something to return to you, but I, 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 it's escaping me. <laughs> I have none of those things. Um, but yeah, this time around we're going to be doing obviously the last two groups, which is Group G and Group H. As I try to frantically remember the alphabet. But first up, we're obviously going to start with the most important news: the news that has usurped every single piece of discussion about the groups and that is the departure of Mr. Lopetegui from Spain. Nico, it feels like a sense of obligation to talk to you first as a, a Spaniard and also a huge fan of the national team. Just initial thoughts, I think, probably as, as to this news. I mean, I, I, I want to say, like, I guess as much as I'd like to say it's it's a surprise, it's a huge shock, I mean, it definitely is, but at the same time, the reasons for as to why, at least the ones that are being reported, don't seem all that crazy and don't seem all that out of place for the Spanish national team. Because although, yes, they've had, I think, what many people would call exceptional management over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, the the rift that that has always existed between the relationship between the, the, the national organizations, even the, the, the politics, and... Real Madrid and Barcelona's influence on those things, I think, is has always existed and has always been so powerful. I think there was a there was a really good interview from um, from not from Del Bosque, but of him, and he kind of talked about the relationship that um, he had with both the Barcelona and Real Madrid players, and how you know, regardless of how good they were, regardless of what was clearly attainable by the team, and obviously that was something that was clear by the time they had won, always going to exist. And that's just something that they couldn't get past. And that's what we kind of go back to here is that this news was supposedly leaked 
to uh, to the the reason that Real Madrid decided to make the announcement of Lopetegui to, uh, as their new manager was because a Barcelona player was going to leak it to the news first or he had the information and somebody had the scoop. So they just decided to get in front of it. And then the rest of, you know, what we have understood to happen has has now happened. And so I, I think that's my initial reaction to the news. But as far as the, the result, I think that's a completely different kettle of fish. Um, I think... Realistically speaking, I don't think it'll affect them that much tactically. Fernando Eriero, or Eri, um has uh, has taken uh, the mantle. A lot of people thought it was going to be uh, Albert Calin Calardes, I think is his name, um, who have both taught uh, and, and coached at different levels of the Spanish youth um, development team. So I think they had a consi- con- relatively consistent idea of what they were going to do at this World Cup anyways. They were going to be a possession-dominant team, and they were going to look to you know exploit uh, different things with Iniesta and David Silva and, and those players. But I... I, I I think anybody would rather have the the confidence of the person that has led them through a successful qualifying campaign um, over the past two years, as opposed to someone that's simply just stepping in. I still think that they can achieve something at this at this World Cup, but it, I think this takes them. I, I, the Ringer did a good power rankings like video where they explain their sort of the 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 reasoning where they thought teams were and and I think Spain like fell to fifth behind France and I think before with the consistency with the cogency with the with you know their coach and the players you would have said you know maybe they're second or third best to to try to um in terms of people imagining that they'd win the world cup but I think they dropped maybe down to like five or six in terms of other nations because you just can't ignore a a coach leaving just a day before the world cup starts it's just it's just too difficult to do yeah, it does feel like there's an air of precedent being set with this with this sort of decision, with this fallout, whichever adjective you want to subscribe to it. And there's, you know, there was an interesting point made yesterday. I think it was um, was by Miguel Delaney that essentially we could see a degree of self governance here. I don't, I don't think that the players will um, ignore Hierro and his or Fernando Hierro, excuse me, and his instructions. But but it does seem as if there's an air of these guys sort of taking care of themselves. It reminds me ever so slightly of, of Jurgen Klinsmann at Bayern and that famous quote that Philip Lahm um, put through his book in, in which he said, you know, came to the point where we just decided how we would play together in the group and it was about damage limitation. You've talked already there about the fact that Spain are not favourites. I mean, I wrote a preview just yesterday for Shortlist in which I articulated similar kind of feeling that while Spain were initially my favourites, it's difficult to to put them up there now. If there's a benefit or if there's a positive to extract from the situation, is it perhaps the fact that Spain's ethos and its ideology is so well ingrained in all of these players that they're not potentially going to be asked to do too many different things, if any different things, under Fernando Hierro? I think that is the main benefit. Um, is that, like you're saying there, the the setup that they have at the you know national at the national level is consistent throughout their youth groups. The guys, Marco Asensio, uh, even even the older guys that have played together since they were young kids, um, but from like the U21s to the U23s, they all play and going down further. Um, they all play a similar style of football, and so I think that's the advantage for the coach. The difficulty for me is that it's not. A situation where like their coach was yanked away from them because of an extraordinary circumstance where maybe the players can emotionally come together if anything this is just going to split them further apart because as 
what's being reported is that Sergio Ramos felt the need to to protect and defend and stand up for you know his new manager in the press conference and how is that going to work with his very center back partner Gerard Piquet or or another Barcelona player that he might need to play with I think obviously I think when you get on the pitch it's different but in terms of a team unity I think this affects them in in the biggest way and that I don't know I, I I think this this has so much more of an effect emotionally that it's sort of similar to to kind of what France went through a couple of years ago. Obviously, their coach didn't leave, but they had this giant rift in the locker room. And I think if you're going to try to win a World Cup, you need everybody to be together. You need everybody to be on the same page. And the rifts, at the very least, need to be bridged. And this, if anything, is is burning those down. Yeah, you could argue that Dominic had checked out mentally, if not physically. Um, the last question I have for you as it pertains to this is, Obviously, Morocco are in that group as well. We've talked about Morocco as maybe dark horses. Um, Her Bernard is their sort of spiritual uh, leader, if you will. I, th- I think the obvious question for that reason is, does your prediction for that group change at all now? Or do you expect Spain to, to go through comfortably? And, and where do you expect to see them finishing the tournament in general? No, I, it does change. I think this group is a little bit more open now, whereas I saw it as you know concrete. Spain are going to win... Uh, win the group and and finish first and be dominant within that I think the consistency that Portugal have had as a as a defensive team doesn't make me believe that they're going to finish first so with Morocco having the degree of talent and the managerial acumen that they do I think this group is a little bit more interesting now and I think it'll largely my, my prediction as to where to where Spain will finish in this competition will largely depend on their performances within the group now that you know we have this major decision, but I think they have an excuse for an early exit now, but that that shouldn't define them. I, I hope they do better than that. But yeah, yeah, I think I think we all hope they do better than that. Only time will tell, obviously. Um, I think that leads us nicely into how some of our potential favorites in the last two groups will do. First up, uh, we have Group G. Um, allow me one second to, to pull that up there. Obviously, it's England's group, so it's Belgium, England, Tunisia, and Panama. Um, be remiss of us not to start with England for obvious reasons. Are you excited by this team, if that's even the right adjective here, Nico? Is this a team that you think could go far? Because that seems to be the curious fluctuation with previews on England, is that it's either going to end fairly miserably or it's potentially going to go really well and they're going to go possibly to the semifinals. Yeah, I wrote a preview for The Athletic that will be coming out um, before the England game at the weekend, but sometime maybe Friday or Saturday, um, talking about Pochettino's influence on on this England team. And I think because of that, because of the cogency of an idea where they have the thing that I kind of wrote about is if you look at the, the, the squad here, they have Kyle Walker, Danny Rose, John Stones, Kieran Trippier, Fabian Delph. You could put Alexander, uh, Alexander Arnold in this camp. You could put Jordan Henderson in this camp. They have Eric Dyer, Deli Alley, um, Sterling, and Kane that all kind of play within similar systems. They play you know, between Liverpool, Manchester City, and Tottenham, and Tottenham being the largest um, group of, of, of influence. They all kind of play this aggressive pressing. And although Klopp's majorly differs from, I think, Guardiola's and Pochettino's, which are a little bit more similar, have more to do with a, a Gagan pressing or a counter pressing. Um, because I, Liverpool, I, I know everybody likes to, to 
sort of quantify them as a gegenpressing pressing team. But this year, I think they weren't really that. They used um, their pressing tactics as, as more of an, a, a defensive it's a defensive tactic, but one they use to to create more attack than they did um, to actually defend themselves. Whereas the other teams do it as a as a security measure, as a as a way to get the ball back, as a way to stop teams from creating against them. And I think having this this many players that can push across a depth of style, and that's the thing that I talked about in the piece, like Spain, for example, in in the the success the successful campaigns that they had at an international level, they did so because it's really difficult to push across a complex style at an international level. And so if you have a team that can do that, if you have a team that can possess the ball, that can press aggressively with these, you know, with these players that I've talked about, then I think you have the ability to, to be better than most of the teams because you, not only do you have talent, but you have a, a more complex idea. And that's, that's the thing for me with England is that I think a lot of people were initially underwhelmed at the squad, some of the inclusions and didn't, you know, for the first time in years, although Arsenal, the Arsenal fan base sounds off uh, anytime uh, an Arsenal player isn't included, specifically Jack Wilshire, the, the inclusion of someone like Jack Wilshire did make sense because there aren't that many midfielders here that seem like they can play that sort of number six role um, or connect the, the defense to the midfield. But for me, it does revolve around this sort of three, four, three-ish cogent idea of being able to be adaptable, to be direct um, when they need to be, but also hold possession and have these players that can create things like Deli Ali and Raheem Sterling. So I think I think they'll do well um, if they can put down that idea. If not, then I, then I could see them doing poorly. But I think if they sort of perpetuate that defensive style, but one that can be flexible, then I, I could see a, a very successful tournament for England. Mm, I think that's one of the interesting things is hearing Gareth Southgate talk about the fact that there is no plan B, which is, is probably something that rings alarm bells for people. But at the same time, his his argument to that is that because they're so, firstly, I would say well-versed in this formation, but then also he feels it's it's adaptable enough. As, as someone that really does study his tactics and, and makes a good bit of his, his money from, from writing about it, is that something that you can agree with, that this formation, this style that Southgate's, Built is adaptable enough that it can possibly change to 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 fit the opponent and and possibly expose their weaknesses. Yeah, hundred percent. That's I think um, some of the things that I touched on before, like the simplicity of like a fullback role within a three four three. Let's say like you can have if he wants to play Kyle Walker as a center back, which is a perfectly um, justifiable decision, then you have Trippier or Danny Rose that can either provide with if they're going to have a ton of possession. Or they can just be really athletic and be really good outlets in the transition. And then I think you have Deli Ali, who, if you need to be born direct, you can use the passing ability of someone like an Eric Dyer, who I think long range passes are, are, are something that he really excels at. He can go direct to Deli Ali or Harry Kane, just like they do at Tottenham, and they can bypass the midfield. They don't have to, if, if a team is simply better than them in that, that department, they, they can be more direct through those athletic players. But if they need to, um, if they need to break down a, a more compact defensive system, then they have someone like Sterling or even Deli Ali, who's proven to be a really talented passer in the final third this season. So they have all these options um, within this formation that doesn't really. You don't need even need to make substitutions. You can just have uh, one formation and that work out because you can ask the players to do different things and you're not switching it around wildly. I think that's the the promise that I see within this formation is that you can do so many different things. And I think 
sometimes I, I doubt whether Southgate has that idea in mind. Sometimes I'm like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't see that at all and he just wants to do this certain thing. But I think given the selection, given some of the things that I've seen in the run-up to the World Cup, I, I hope and I kind of believe that's, that that's his idea. So, yeah, I do think they have a duality of style. Mm. And, and one man who's had his ideas questioned pretty firmly is, is Roberto Martinez. He's not going into this tournament, I would say, with um, the greatest of support in terms of his managerial ability more than anything. We did see, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne question the team's tactics after a friendly draw with Mexico. I think it was 3-3 in Brussels. Um, Bobby Martinez, he has a wonderful reputation as a pundit, especially in the US. As a coach it seems to be a little bit more polarising. There are people that seem to like his style, usually people not attached to the club that he's in charge of, I must caveat that with. Do you have strong opinions on him? Is is what he's doing with this Belgium team something that you can get on board with? And, and do you think they should be concerned about the, the way that he's putting them together? 100%. I think they should be very concerned about the way that he, he puts them forward because... Um, in a relatively rare piece of, of good content from the boys over at Cup of 90, they did, uh, they did a video on Belgium and how this is their golden generation. And they, ha- they had an interview with Ruto Martinez where he was talking about the, the traits that he thought made Aiden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne specifically special. And he talked about you know, the ball-playing ability and the vision that Kevin De Bruyne has and then the, the game-stopping, exceptional dribbling that we've seen from Aiden Hazard. And he talked about using those two things. And I think the difficulty you have when you have this many talented players and when, you know, when we talk about talent, we've said that about Germany, Spain, whoever. This is, this is a truly exceptional group because I think and a lot of a lot of us were um, were saw this on display this this past Premier League season. When you have the talent of a Kevin De Bruyne and an Aiden Hazard, you should try to use those things. But the difficulty that arises within that, and the difficulty, or maybe the problem that I saw within his interview, is that it's really difficult to try to utilize both of those things at the same time. Because if you look at what makes Kevin De Bruyne great, it's that passing ability, right? He has a it's not just a vision, but a technical ability that is almost second to none. It's it's like, you know, people talk about maybe the, the Hollywood ball that Steven Gerrard or or someone else could could provide. But Kevin De Bruyne, not to get too into the to the minutia of it, um, sometimes like if a player is all the way across the field and they need the ball delivered to them very quickly, some players just don't have the technical ability to maybe they have the the ability to get them get the ball to them, but it's it's a lofted ball. It's one that's slower because of the the natural trajectory that the ball has to take. He has the technical ability to send it right across the ground and it to get there in a very uh, very quickly. The difficulty with perpetuating or or putting that player up on a pedestal when you combine that with Aiden Hazard is that Aiden Hazard's a dribbler. He doesn't make runs in behind. It's very it's very rare that you see him making intelligent, clever runs behind the defense because that's just simply what he he hasn't been able to work on that because of the way that Chelsea play. And maybe that's part of his fault as well. He hasn't added that to his game. But if you try to perpetuate both those things at the same time, I think you can come up with, at a roadblock to a certain extent. And then when you have other questionable personnel decisions like playing uh, Ferreira Carrasco at, at, at wing back, I think... It's one of those things that I've kind of alluded to before with different managers is like a kid in the candy shop. You have to choose one idea. You can't have everything. And I think he's trying to have everything sometimes with this formation um, and, and these players. And so I, that's the difficulty for me is that besides the fact that they have 
exceptional talents all over the field, in goal, in defense, in midfield, and, and at forward, it's going to be hard to, to get all of those things firing at the same time. I th- I, yeah, I struggle to, to really disagree with you on that one, just because I think it's curious to me that they replaced Mark Wilmot, who, I, I forget who said it, but someone on Twitter said essentially is the Belgian Harry Redknapp, in the sense that he just sends them out there and, and says, you know, play good, play well, with... Martinez, who obviously has some notable coaching deficiencies. Um, there was an interesting thing just the other night that I couldn't help but notice when I watched the game against Costa Rica where Eden Hazard seemed to push, uh, I think it was Yannick Carrasco, off the ball to take it off him. Um, I had read today that, that Hazard is in good mood, he's in buoyant spirit. Do you have any concerns with this team from a just a personnel standpoint? As, as to how it relates with them getting on with each other, whether there could be some kind of fracture within the camp, or, or do you expect Belgium to... Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. To go quite far in this tournament. I don't expect them to go far. I think their talent will probably get them out of this group, but... It's not that I don't that I see them maybe not getting along, but I think maybe like you were alluding to there, I think you know Hazard pushing off Carrasco or off the ball in, in the middle of play makes sense because Carrasco probably doesn't understand his his role in the team to go from playing at Atletico Madrid a relatively simplistic like wing role that he he performed well at because he's a uh, you know an athletically gifted player that's a pretty decent dribbler as well to playing a, a, a role that I think a lot of people I mean it's obviously dependent on the system but a lot of people oversimplify wing back can be an incredibly demanding thing both positionally um, and athletically to go from doing that uh, it, within a season you know he saw his move from Atleti to China and now to the World Cup I don't think he 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 probably understands entirely what he has to do, and I I probably imagine that's the, that's the same for a lot of these players. Is that Roberto Martinez has been has been known to be relatively ambiguous when it comes to defining his defensive identity. He can do it going forward, and he can you know get the best out of you know the 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 Everton's when he was at Everton. It was a brilliant attacking system with Ross Barkley and 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 Lukaku and some of those guys, but defensively I think you have to be proficient as well and I, I I don't see that from him and so that's why I don't see them going uh you know doing that well is because I think a lesser team maybe if they're lined up with a with a Morocco or a Tunisia at some point even in this group they could probably be exposed because they won't be be that good defensively one team I think that we perhaps are expecting to be strong defensively if not offensively is Tunisia um, and I must confess, mention of Tunisia takes me back to France 98. Um, and I think it was a 2 0 win for England. Goals from Shearer and Paul Scholes. I watched it in a Glaswegian bar um, with, I should say, with my mum. I was only about 12 at the time. Um, actually, 10. No, yes, 10. Good at maths. Um, Tunisia are, are seen as the team that will potentially um, usurp 
England, less so Belgium, for that second spot. It, is that something you're expecting here? Do you, do you see them as potential uh, party poopers, if you will, or, or is it really a situation where they're kind of very much likely to finish in third? To be entirely honest, I don't know a great deal about those playing for Tunisia, but I think within the context of the group, it's certainly not going to be Panama. And so I think, like I was saying before, if they can perpetuate a defensive style that allows Belgium to come onto them and that just expose their defensive weaknesses, that's definitely a possibility within this group. I think it's difficult to imagine that Belgium might not make it out of the group, but at the same time, when you have England in in there, which I think, like I said before, have a cogent idea of what they want to do in combination with a proficient team like Tunisia, then it's in, I think it's entirely possible. Mm. That's that's the thing. I mean, Wabi Kazri is a player I'm familiar with. I've seen quite often up close, um, and I think he will be hugely influential in the attack. And yet, the the loss of Youssef. Masakni, I, th- I think I'm saying that right. Apologies, folks, that, that I haven't been able to get on that website that Nico plugged the other day that tells you how to say players' names. Um, he is a big loss for them, and that's I think what will probably be the difference maker. Because I think you're right. There's not a lot of household names in this Tunisia squad. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of famous Tunisian players: Hatem Trabelzi, former Ajax and and briefly Man City defender. Um, is one that springs to mind, but it's it's certainly a squad lacking in that, and and I I do think that yes they'll be defensive, they'll be stern, um, but I do question if they've they've got the quality, and I think honestly that kind of takes us into to the fourth and final team here, Panama, which is is a team from from your neck of the woods, Nico. They're they're a wonderful fairy tale story. I think we can agree with that. Um, the fact they're here, the fact they. Have, qualified in the way they did with with Roman Torres belting in a volley um, or a half volley it was either way it was brilliant I said to someone recently that that for me this team reminds me very much of, of Honduras in 2014 I think it'll be fun for a second and then when it, when the whistle blows <laughs> and then it'll get very bad yeah it'll get very real very quick um, it, am, I, am I being too harsh on our, on our Panamanian friends there or is it really that kind of cut and dry for them in this tournament no, I think it is that cut and dry. I, you know, I don't see a, a a whole lot of talent, and a lot of their star players are above thirty, and that's the difficulty for this team is that there's just not a whole lot going on. Even if they can perpetuate a, a consistent defensive style, it's going to be difficult for them to hold off the attacking talent that they'll face at this competition, and I don't really see them being able to do that. I mean, I think. A lot of the time because we watch, you know, some of the best football consistently within the Premier League, within, you know, the top five leagues in Europe, we can say, okay, well, all the team has to do in order to not concede is just kind of pack it in. But there is a lot more that goes into that. And packing it in, as I wrote recently, that'll be coming out soon, isn't actually that effective anymore in, in the modern um, modern era of attacking brilliance. So, yeah, I think it's kind of that cut and dry for for Panama. Unfortunately, they should enjoy the competition while they while they have the opportunity to. I hope I'm not being too condescending, and maybe they'll prove me wrong by just you know making it out of the group. But I, I don't I don't see them doing that. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. There's a lot of as you touched on there, aging players. I look at Blas Perez, who is I actually found it yesterday that. Las Perez wasn't, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Trent Alexander-Arnold wasn't born when Blas Perez started his playing career, um, 
which is, yeah, that, that in itself should tell you something. And then Luis de Hader is a similar kind of age. Yes, he banned in the goals last season. But, again, I do like Annabelle Godoy in midfield. I will give give them that. Um, I think he's quite a decent little two-way midfielder. But that will take us on to our final group, um, which is Group H. Um, first up, we're going to start with, with Senegal. I think when you talk about Senegal, you almost feel obligated to mention that 0-2 team that, that shocked France, that shocked the world in, in a lot of ways. Um, for you personally, are you expecting huge things from this team? Maybe not huge things, but definitely a, definitely a performance and maybe one of the more exciting teams because I think they have a lot of they have a lot of talent in different positions. Obviously, Kudabali for me has been one of the best center backs in the in the world in the past couple of seasons at Napoli. He has he's not just a unit like an absolute unit to reference the meme, but he is a, an exceptionally gifted player on the ball. And when you have that in combination with some other decent defensive talents that play in Europe, I think you have a solid defensive core. Then moving on to the midfield, Cheka Kuate is like. I don't think his time at West Ham has done him enough credit from what I've seen him play. He's an incredibly versatile player from his physical nature to the to, to the ability, maybe rather limited ability that he has on the ball, but still an ability. Um, I think he's a he's a decent player. And when you combine that with Idrissa Gay, who has that work rate, who has that um, ability to be positionally aware, I think that's a pretty decent midfield with whoever else they want to they want to put there, whether it's Sané or Ndoy. It, it's going to be it's going to be a, a a decent midfield, and then you move on to the attack, and you have I don't know I don't know if we would classify Keita Balde as yet one of the best offensive talents, but certainly at Monaco he's done well, and certainly um, in his time at Lazio before that he's been shown to have talent. And if they can, you know, a lot of this like I've maybe sound like a broken jump or, or a broken record, um, but you know if they can be defensive having the talents on the counterattack, even like Diafrasaka, who can operate as a more traditional um, striker. When you have Keita Balde, who's incredibly quick, incredibly physical, and then obviously Sadio Mane, who we all know of his talent. Um, you know, that's a really dangerous team on the counterattack. So I, I think they have plenty of talent and some managerial direction to do well in this competition. And given their group, given the fact that it's not incredibly competitive, you know, you look at Japan and Poland, maybe looking to be some of the some of the whipping boys of the competition. Um, I think they can they can probably do well in this competition. And those kids, gotta love them. Yes, it feels like Afri- African nations have had a good number of iconic kids. I was thinking back to the. Cameroon one that was sleeveless, um, which should be quite interesting um, if it was to ever come back. Next in the group is, is Colombia, who I think were one of the darlings of the 2014 tournament. James Rodriguez in particular, with his, his boyish little grin, um, was someone that, that captured the attention. It didn't quite kick on from him after the tournament. He obviously got his move to Real Madrid, but I think he's expected to be, again, the, the piano player as we like to say on this podcast for Colombia which I think is one of the reasons he loves playing for his national team so much are you expecting a a similar kind of drive into the latter stages of this tournament for Colombia or or is it going to likely be a little bit of a regression no I think I think for me there I've said to many people who have asked they are the dark horses for me I think they can if things go well, and we talk about luck a lot in, in cup competitions, if things go well, I could see them being, you know, one of those teams that surprises, one of those teams that gets gets past one of the big boys because they have exceptional talent in a lot of positions. And I don't think they have to be purely defensive. They have James Rodriguez who 
has quietly had one of the best seasons of his career at Bayern Munich. He was exceptional in his creation uh, in terms of like underlying attacking numbers. And they have other you know, players in the supporting cast around him. Juan Cuadrado is a, is a really gifted player, I think, when you use him correctly. And Falcao is never a bad option. And if maybe they decide to go with a two-striker system, I think Baca can play well off of him because you can be direct with Baca. Um, and he's always a good guy to have in the box. And then it, it's not something where they're only attack-minded. Davinson Sanchez, for me, I think a lot of people know on the podcast, is one of my favorite defenders. He's so physical. He's so gifted on the ball. And I think he, he's come leaps and bounds, even from the talent that he was at Ajax to his time at Tottenham under Pochettino. Um, so I think he'll definitely be that rock at the back that can kind of secure them. The difficulty for me is that the weakest point of their team is, I don't know, I don't know. It's always, it's always um, important, an important position, but... I think specifically in a World Cup competition, goalkeeper is is really significant. And David Ospina at this point is genuinely terrible. I think having a cardboard cutout of David Ospina in goal is probably better than having an actual David Ospina in goal. Because um, one thing that kind of stuck out to me, and I think we'll we'll see maybe the rise of slightly more tactically proficient teams at this World Cup. Um, you know, you'll see like little gimmicky tactics, I think. And I think what we've seen from Arsenal in different club competitions or, or cup competitions, rather, that they've had to use Ospina or they feel like they need to use Ospina, is that if you high-press Arsenal off the goal kick and try to let him take it, for whatever reason, whether like whether it's just a consistent injury or just his age or just his general inability to do it, he can barely, I think, kick the length of or half the length of the pitch. So te- it's really easy for teams to win the ball back in those situations, and usually it results in a goal or really at least a really good shot on target. So that's a really easy way for for teams to kind of go at this Colombia team in general is just shoot at the goal because David Ospina is really bad. So maybe we'll see a change in the goalkeeper they have. Camilo Vargas and Jose Cuadrado in there as well, um, but supposedly it's it's going to be him. That's the only real weakness I see here. Outside of that, I think they're a really good team. They are a really good team. A, a team that is not so strong is Japan, and I say that because it would seem from everything that I've been able to read that they're coming into this tournament on the back of a little bit of a crisis. Um, there's still... A good number of players that are, are recognisable, I think, to football fans around the world there, whether it's Shinji Kagawa, uh, Mai Yoshida in defence, um, or even Kusuke Honda, who uh, I think is on the lookout for a new club. Um, so if anyone's listening and fancies Kusuke Honda, by all means, contact him, because we don't know him. Um, Japan, for me, they have a very strong tactical image, and it is short passing, it is intricate, it is detailed, it's mirrored... I would argue, between the men's and the women's team. Um, For that reason alone, should there be any surprises with Japan in this tournament? I don't think so. I I don't have a great deal of confidence in their ability because even though maybe they have a more possession-oriented style of football, I don't think that that's something that they'll be able to um, successfully implement at this competition. It was really funny, though, to watch. uh, There was a clip... I forget if what, like what it was for, what it was trying to sell or market or whatever, but um, they had a series of players from different countries asking them, who do they think is going to win the World Cup? And, you know, uh, Ant- Antonio Rudiger was like, Germany, I hope it's Germany. And, you know, somebody else said it's every player pretty much said their country. And Maya Ishida just quickly goes, um, Brazil. <laughs> and he was the only <laughs> he was the only player that didn't say his own nation, which 
I think kind of reflects my own um, <laughs> my own opinions about this team is that they've made it. That's good for them, but I don't think that'll they'll go too far. <laughs> yeah, they they made the decision to to swap out coach Fahid Halihodzic in April, which I mean, yeah, if, you know, if you thought you could sack a, a manager just before a tournament, Spain definitely took that crown um, and replaced him. Uh, with Nishino, who Akira Nishino, excuse me, and it would seem he's brought some of the more experienced players into the camp um, because Holly Hodgkin, it seemed, wanted to go with a little bit more younger, maybe unproven names, which is it's certainly going to be an interesting one that to to see because I would imagine this may be the last tournament for some of the names that we've talked about. Um, when you look at, I mean, the the one that jumps out is is Honda, who. He is 32. I can't see him playing at 36. Uh, Kagawa is 29. I can't see him maybe still going at 33. You never know. You never know. But I think, yeah, this this Japanese team is, is certainly not the potential dark horse that I think it might have been four years ago. Um, that will take us to our last team, who you could argue are possibly in the same boat, and that is Poland. Um, the star name is obvious. He sits at the top of the team. His name is Robert Lewandowski. Um, for you, Nico, when you look at this team, there's talent behind him. Zielinski, Krikowiak, who didn't have a great season, Blaszkowski, even Angrzycki. Can they provide enough for him to thrive in the final third? Or, or do you very much look at this group as, as somewhat cut and dry with Senegal and Colombia going to the top? No, I think it'll be a ballad, uh, battle Sorry, between this team and, and Senegal, that of which I think Senegal will probably win. But at the same time, you never know. Um, I think the difficulty for me with Poland, Poland is that, <clears throat> as we saw at Euro 2016, Lewandowski was shut down a lot of the time. He wasn't allowed to thrive because a lot of the teams knew of his exceptional um, offensive talent. You still have Milik, who has had a decent season, or maybe not a decent whole season, but definitely um, put in some impressive performances since he's been allowed to come back from I think two ACL ruptures um, which is really difficult for any player so if they can get the best out of both of them somehow then I think there's probably an avenue for success the difficulty is that I think they occupy really similar spaces the person that I think um, you know a lot of people maybe say oh who's going to have a breakout tournament this year Zielinski even though a lot of people already know of him he plays for Napoli he's done really well in the in the bits and pieces that he's done and the bits that he's been allowed to play I think he's a really gifted player and he's still relatively undecided in terms of his identity at the very top of the game he can be a more defensive a player that maybe represents more of a six as opposed to a different one, but he can go forward, and he's he's scored some impressive goals in the Napoli team this year. So I would look out for him. I think Krakowiak has something to prove, given the given going from PSG to West Brom isn't the the way I think most players want to go. Um, but yeah, I think they they could they could be as proficient as Senegal. The difficulty is giving Lewandowski the ability to or the the. The platform to thrive and I think that's what they found difficult over the past couple of years and I don't know if that's going to change yeah it's interesting to see from PSG to West Brom I was trying to think of a player that's even done that Stefan Sessegnon did it with a, a spell at Sunland in between um, I want to say Yusuf Malumbu did as well um, 
Falkirk star Yusuf Malumbigo. I must add um, for our Scottish listeners, but yeah, I'm pretty sure he did that. Um, so let's get predictions for both groups then. Starting with Group G, uh, I'm going Belgium, England, Tunisia, Panama. Um, and then Group H, I'm going Colombia, Senegal, Poland, Japan. What are you going for? I'm going to do it, Chris. I'm going to say England, Belgium, Tunisia, and Panama. I'm going to say England win their group. And then I will say Colombia, Senegal, Poland, and Japan. There we have it, folks. Let us know your predictions as well, because obviously by the time you listen to this, the tournament will have kicked off. But we're still kind of curious to think to hear what you think. And also for you to put your reputation on the line, because goodness knows... I know that you'll be tweeting us the ones that we get horrifically <laughs> wrong. So let's all have a bit of fun with it. I've been Chris and Hennage. He's been the wonderful Nico Morales. We hope you enjoy your football and let's enjoy the World Cup. Brilliant.